My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Now you all know by now that Donald J. Trump, the greatest president since General George Washington himself, was recently hospitalized with what was said to be a case of the coronavirus. The world held its collective breath for our commander-in-chief, with hundreds of millions across the globe falling to their knees in prayer. But the real story, ladies and gentlemen, the real story is far more inspiring than you can imagine. And I, Farmer Gray, am here to reveal the truth behind the President's stay at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. It all began one early fall day, as Mr. Trump sat behind the resolute desk in the Oval Office, signing legislation to make the reading of bedtime tales mandatory for parents of children aged five and under. Thank heavens for our majority in the Senate, says he to his daughter and son-in-law, Ivanka and Jared, as he wielded his pen with a flourish. If it were up to the liberals, millions of little boys and girls would go to sleep without a soothing parental voice intoning the story of Red Riding Hood or the three little porcine home builders. Remember, Ivanka, how I used to read to you at bedtime? Yes, Daddy, says she. No matter how busy you were, you were always there to narrate a classic children's book. You even did the funny voices of the different characters, and you were good at it, too. But best of all, you provided a moral lesson with every story. That's how I learned to be a good wife and mother. At least I hope I did. You're the best, says Jared, and at this Ivanka blushed. But Mr. President, says Jared, we've another matter to discuss. There's a crisis afoot that only your unique abilities can forestall. The leader of the free world leaned back in his chair. I'm listening, says he. It's well known among your inner circle, says Jared, that you have the power to heal with a touch of your hand. That's right, Daddy, says Ivanka, like how you used to cure my fevers when I was a little girl with a gentle palm to my forehead. And how any of your staff with cold or flu, says Jared, is rendered healthy just by handling a document that you yourself have touched. It's a gift the Lord bestowed upon me, says Mr. Trump, and I am humbled by it. Well, says Jared, we need that gift, but maybe your personal doctor could put it best. The next moment, Sean Patrick Conley, U.S. Navy officer and physician to the president, entered the office. Mr. President, says Dr. Conley, we've got a couple of cases over at Walter Reed that have the doctors bum-fuzzled, ailing folks who defy cure no matter the treatment employed. A tragic situation, says the president. Well, says Conley, if you could visit and lay hands on these patients, you could drive the devil out and make them whole again. Mr. Trump paused, his eyes filled with sadness. I'd like nothing better, says he, but it's the same old story. As the second I show up to pray over these desperate patients, the Democrats and liberal media will have a field day over it. They'll call for me to be burned as a wizard, and although I give no thought to the danger, there's also the distinct possibility that they'll close down the medical center altogether. That would impact the health and well-being of thousands, which I cannot abide. <clears throat> we thought of that, Daddy, says Ivanka, so we cooked up a plan that would allow you to work your miracles without the media catching wind of it. And what stratagem do you propose, asked her father. 
that we tell the press, says Conley, that you've contracted the coronavirus and are being airlifted to the hospital. Hmm, says the president. And will they believe it? After all, I'm hale and hearty and in perfect physical condition. All that farm work as a boy gave me an iron constitution. We think we can convince them, says Jared. We've got some folks who've been round you recently who'll claim that they're positive too, just to make it all look real. Hope Hicks, Kellyanne Conway, Tom Tillis, Mike Lee, Nicholas Luna, Ronna McDaniel, the Reverend John Jenkins, and a whole bunch of others. They'll all say they've got it. Oh, and your beloved wife and my revered mother-in-law, Melania, she'll testify to having a case, too. Mr. Trump smiled and said, She's game for anything, isn't she? Particularly if it's for a good cause. So the word went out in the early morning hours of October 2nd that the most essential man on earth was ailing. Later that day, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows entered the President's private quarters in the White House just as his boss was finishing his 200th push-up. As usual, Melania was sitting on his back the whole time because, as Mr. Trump liked to say, otherwise it'd be too easy. Sir, said Meadows, your helicopter is waiting to transport you to Walter Reed. Fine, says the commander-in-chief, and he straightened his jacket and tie, which he'd been wearing during the push-ups, before heading for the door. But if I may, sir, says Meadows, if we're going to pull off this trickery, you'll have to give the impression that you're really sick. Oh, says Mr. Trump, you're right. I'll hunch over a bit and maybe muss my hair a mite. And when I wave to the press, I'll do it as if that simple act is exhausting me. That should do nicely, sir, smiled Meadows. Other presidents, he thought, might not want to be photographed with their hair must. But the man he worked for was not like them, for he had no vanity. A few minutes later, after having run the gauntlet of reporters waiting outside the White House, Mr. Trump climbed aboard a helicopter to be transported to Walter Reed. It was only after they were in the air that the president asked if he might take over the controls. I used to fly choppers during the Vietnam War, says he. Of course, that's just between you and me, since my intelligence work back then is still top secret. You mean, says the pilot, that story about you avoiding service because of bone spurs wasn't true? You just hand over the controls, says Mr. Trump, and I'll show you how true it is. The pilot did so, and Donald J. Trump flew that helicopter to Bethesda like the war hero he is, setting it down perfectly on the helipad at Walter Reed. That was the smoothest flight I've ever had, says the pilot. The president winked as a dozen attendants, all in masks, approached. If you think that was impressive, says he, just watch as I go into my act. He then opened the helicopter door and moaned aloud, Oh, my coronavirus! Dear me, I feel so poorly! He was then placed in a wheelchair, which he definitely didn't need, but you know, protocol, and taken into the hospital, where Dr. Conley greeted him in the lobby. I think we can dispose with this, says the medico, as Mr. Trump practically leapt from the chair, and I'll be taking personal charge of the president's case from here on in. With that, he dismissed the attendants and spoke quietly with our leader. We've got some real tough cases here, says Conley, and there's only so much medical science can do. But with your special powers, now doctors, says Donald Trump, they're not my powers. They come from the Lord above. I'm only the unworthy conduit through which he has chosen to act. Yes, sir, says the doctor. I almost forgot how humble you are. Anyway, what we'll do is I'll pretend like I'm showing you to your room, see? But as I do so, our path will accidentally take us by some of the toughest cases here. 
Then we'll find ways for you to surreptitiously lay hands on him, you know, so as not to raise suspicion. I'm ready when you are, says the president. I'm ready when you are. Meanwhile, over at Democrat headquarters, Mr. Trump's rival, erstwhile Vice President Joe Biden, was pacing back and forth as his campaign manager, one Jennifer O'Malley Dillon, looked on. Biden swore loudly, despite the presence of a lady, and said, I know Trump's up to something. This whole what you call pandemic was made up by us socialists to throw a wrench into the economy. I mean, the coronavirus doesn't really exist, which means there's no way he could actually have it. So you think he's at Walter Reed for some other reason, said Mrs. O'Malley Dillon? I'm sure of it, says Biden. So I want our best operative in the liberal media to find out what's really going on and expose it before Election Day. And by the way, when I say best, I mean sneakiest and most underhanded. His campaign manager grinned like the cat who ate the canary. I just, I know just who to get, says she. Someone who fits that description precisely. Back at the hospital, Dr. Conley and Mr. Trump made their first stop at the room of a young man hooked up to all kinds of machines, with tubes running in and out of his arms and everywhere else. A heartbreaking sight for sure. I fear, says Dr. Conley, that this patient has a sepsis that yields to no medicine. Ah, says the president, but will it yield to Christ? And at that moment, a nurse walked in, and heavens me, wasn't she startled to see the commander-in-chief? Why, she nearly dropped her tray of needles and pills. She gasped and said, Mr. President, why aren't you in your room? Aren't you here to recover from your illness? That's right, says Dr. Connolly. We were just on our way to the president's suite when, uh, uh, when, when we noticed some cookie crumbs on this patient's hospital gown, says Donald Trump. I'll just brush them off. And with that, he laid his palm on the patient's chest. Take that, cookie crumbs, says he. But that's impossible, says the nurse. This man hasn't had anything by mouth for days. Oh, says the president. Well, in that case, false alarm. And as he and the doctor left the room, they could hear the machines monitoring the patient's vital signs start to beep stronger and faster. He'll be on his feet by tonight, whispers Mr. Trump, squiring some pretty gal around Washington, no doubt. Walking down the hall, the pair came upon a group of interns being led on their rounds. The young doctors looked stunned at the sight of the commander-in-chief moving quickly toward them. Thinking fast, Dr. Conley said, That's right, Mr. President. A brisk walk is just what you need to fight the coronavirus. But isn't that highly irregular, says one of the interns as the two men strode past. It's in the latest medical journals, says Dr. Conley. You should know that, or don't you keep up. Oh, no, sir. I mean, yes, sir, says the intern, turning pale. Then the young physicians in training began arguing among themselves on who dropped the ball on this vital new information. In the meantime, Dr. Conley and the president ducked into an operating room. A patient lay on the table, a team of surgeons elbow deep in his innards. The president and Dr. Conley quickly donned surgical gowns and masks so they wouldn't be recognized and approached the table. So, says Dr. Conley, how's it going? Not very well, says one of the sawbones as a nurse mopped sweat from his brow. Oh my gosh, says another nurse, looking at a set of monitors. He's failing. Heart rate, blood pressure, breathing, all dangerously low. We've tried everything, says another surgeon, but in my 30 years of practice, this is the most confounding case I've ever come across. I'm afraid he may not survive the operation. Mind if I take a look, said the disguised commander-in-chief, and as he leaned over, Mr. Trump accidentally allowed his Timex watch, 
to slip from his wrist and fall into the patient. Goodness gracious, cried the president, as the surgeons railed against his perceived negligence. I'd better reach in there and retrieve my timepiece. And didn't he do just that, without even flinching? Now, the physicians around that operating table never admitted it to one another, but each of them was convinced he saw the patient's heart glow with a greenish light as this doctor laid his hand inside the man's chest. A moment later, the hand reappeared, clutching the wristwatch, while in the next second that heart, which had been so slow and weak, itself began ticking like a clock. His vitals are rising, called the nurse. Lord in heaven, says the first surgeon, as Donald Trump and Dr. Conley exited the operating room. I think he's going to pull through. Meanwhile, as the president walked the hallways of Walter Reed, doing God's work, a more pernicious element snuck into the hospital. I refer, of course, to a fellow by the name of Slippery McGee, the most odious reporter ever to work for those muckrakers at CNN. He dedicated the last four years to digging up dirt that could damage our commander-in-chief's spotless reputation, but Mr. Trump, being a paragon of virtue, harbored no skeletons in his closet, leaving McGee frustrated as a skunk in a perfumery. There's got to be something out there to bring down his presidency, he fretted, and I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it so the liberals, socialists, and communists can overrun this country. Then he reflected on the fact that those were the exact words in CNN's mission statement, and that made him even more zealous in his desire to impugn Donald Trump's character. So McGee did what he does best. He skulked about, sneaking through the corridors of Walter Reed like a filthy rat. But it's an awfully big place, that hospital, and the president was on the move, so it wasn't going to be easy to find him. The journalist, if you can call him that, even slipped five dollars into a custodian's hand, hoping to use him as his eyes and ears in case the president came by. You know what, though? That fellow gave the money right back and said, You think I'm going to betray a great man for the likes of you? Go to... Go to H.E. Double Hockey Sticks, Slippery McGee. Undeterred, the news jockey skittered from one floor to the next, seeking evidence against Mr. Trump. He went to all the departments for all the different parts of the anatomy, the heart, the brains, the lungs, everything. But thanks be to Jesus, he didn't come across our commander-in-chief, no sir. What he did find, however, were flocks of doctors and nurses marveling at how one hopeless patient after another had suddenly and inexplicably returned to perfect health. One fellow who only moments before had been facing the abyss grabbed a candy striper, and together they did a turkey trot down the hall. Wee, he cried, I'm feeling downright spry. Something's going on, McGee says to himself, and I'm going to find out what. At that moment, a nurse points a finger at him and says, Look, it's that CNN reporter who always says fake things about the president. Let's get him, gals. And with that, she and ten other nurses made a run at him. But McGee was as slippery as his name, and quick as a wink ducked into a stairwell, taking the steps two at a time down to the next floor with the ladies in hot pursuit. We'll teach you to badmouth our commander-in-chief, one of the nurses called as they headed for the landing. We'll give you a tetanus shot. Everybody hates that. As McGee burst through a door to the floor below, he stopped dead, and as the gals ran in to punish him, they stopped too. For there, in a room directly opposite, was Donald Trump, laying a hand on another ailing patient. May the power of our Lord and Savior return you to health, says the president gently, and the man's breathing suddenly grew strong and steady. Ha! cries McGee. 
So that's what you're up to. Healing people like some dime store, countrified, no-account Montebank. Mr. Trump and Dr. Conley were startled by the interruption, but the president instantly regained his composure. McGee, on the other hand, his face was turning red with excitement. Wait till I get this on the air, shouts he. Every godless, liberal, democrat, socialist, communist will be up in arms and drive you from office on election day. This is just what I've been waiting for. When I get back to CNN, when I, when I... He never finished his sentence, for Slippery McGee fell to the floor, having suffered cardiac arrest. Donald Trump quickly emerged from the hospital room and knelt beside him. Well, that's one less thorn in your side, says Dr. Conley. No, says the commander-in-chief. There's good in every man, and I'll not let this one go before his time. He then pressed his palm on the reporter's chest. Dear Jesus, he prayed, return our fallen brother to this side of the veil, that he may one day be drawn to virtue under your guidance and in your name. Amen. In the next instant, McGee's chest began to rise and fall as breath returned to his body. He opened his eyes and stared at the president. You... You brought me back, says he. Why? Love your enemies, says Mr. Trump. Do good to those who hate you. Luke 6.27 Tears formed in McGee's eyes and ran down his cheeks. I see now, says he. I see the kind of man you really are. How could I have been so wrong all these years? It's enough, says the President, that the scales have now fallen from your eyes. Well, don't you worry, says McGee. Your secret's safe. When I get back to the newsroom, I'll simply say, Donald J. Trump, the greatest leader in our lifetime, has the coronavirus, pure and simple. No one ever need know the real reason you're here. And the president squeezed his hand and said, Thank you, Mr. McGee. Or should I say, Brother McGee. Slippery was as good as his word, too. Not only did he keep Mr. Trump's secret, he immediately quit his job at CNN and joined a more responsible journalistic organization. Today he reports for Breitbart News, and his coverage of the president? Downright laudatory, just as it should be. Yes, sir. Play me out, Zeke. (laughs) 